Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 198 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. First of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you to those of you who share this podcast. You put it on your social media. Maybe you email the link to friends. You text it to your friends. You share it with your team. Man, we're so encouraged. You know, that's one of the reasons we do the show notes, too, for team discussion. You can find them always just on my website at kerryneuhoff.com. Also, for those of you who can't spell Newhoff, which is 99.999% of you, uh, go to leadlikeneverbefore.com. Basically, if you're not a Newhoff, you can't spell Newhoff. That's basically how it works. Anyway, um, even an approximate Googleization of that will get you there <laughs> anyway. Leadlikeneverbefore.com will, will drop you there as well. Hey, we have had an incredible few weeks. Last week, we did three episodes. Wasn't that fun? Mark Clark and I, and then Danielle Strickland. Then I didn't ask Carrie. Today, we're back with the regular one, but we're celebrating really what, what I'm doing right now, communication. Um, I just released a brand new course called The Art of Better Preaching. And it has gone sensationally well. We, we're already getting great feedback from you. And this is the first time in a course I've teamed up with somebody else. And sometimes, you know, our differences actually make us stronger. I've gotten to know Mark Clark. He leads Village Church in Vancouver, B.C., church of over 5,000 people on a weekend, growing rapidly. And Mark and I, in a post-Christian culture, we have the challenge of, like, trying to reach the unreached. And at Connexus Church, where I serve, over 50% of the people who walk in the door for the first time self-identify saying, hey, I don't have a church background. And so I have had for over 20 years now the privilege of speaking to unchurched people every weekend, who, of course, many of whom become Christians. But how do you do that with integrity, like with biblical integrity? And then how do you do things like engage a, a perpetually distracted crowd? How do you actually build interest in sermon series, and how do you connect in a way? So, you know, between Mark and I, over 10,000 people will hear our messages every weekend. How do you communicate at that level? So Mark and I sat down, we sort of did a brain dump and took everything we know about communication and put it into the art of better preaching. Mark brings a wealth of experience, and then I take my time not only in two decades of preaching, 25 years of preaching, um, but I also worked in radio professionally for eight years. I was on national television for a couple of years, and I have some experience in courtroom law. Took everything I know about communication, everything Mark knows about communication and preaching, and we put them into the art of better preaching. It's 12 video sessions that are going to walk you really from start to finish, from what is preaching to message preparation to interacting with the text to how to deliver a talk without using notes to how to create a memorable bottom line that literally people could have the potential to remember years down the road and so much more. We have bonus resources. We have some cheat sheets for you. We've got a in-depth, you know, serious workbook so that you can work through the material, keep your own notes, and it's something that you can come back to again and again. And hopefully, you know, for some of the points, use them as a weekly template as you create your messages. So uh, right now, the good news is um, The Art of Better Preaching is still at introductory pricing. So if you head over to theartofbetterpreaching.com, 
Uh, you will get it for a great rate, but that's only for about 48 more hours. All right. So if you're listening to this when it is released, you have a very limited time to get it at introductory pricing. The price goes up literally in two days. So uh, head on over to theartofbetterpreaching.com. Check it out. It may be right for you. I hope and pray it is. And uh, it's basically an entire preaching course, like right at your fingertips whenever you want it. Uh, the best that Mark and I have to offer. And I hope it's going to help you reach more people. Uh, because you know what? 76% of people, according to a recent Gallup poll, say that preaching is why they choose a church. That's churched and unchurched people. And here's what I believe, that great preaching can help you grow a church, but bad preaching will definitely kill your church. So uh, get better at preaching, and you can do that at theartofbetterpreaching.com. Well, today my guest is someone I've known for over a decade. Her name is Kristen Ivey. And uh, this, again, is the essence of why I started this podcast. We literally recorded this backstage at the Orange Conference a couple of months ago in April in Atlanta. And I sat down with Kristen, and this one, um, I actually was totally unscripted. No questions. I just, I started with a personal story. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about bringing you this interview is Christian is uh, not only an accomplished author, she's the executive director of messaging for Rethink slash Orange. And uh, she has had incredible experience, uh, both as a mom herself, but also as uh, somebody whose parents went through a divorce and somebody who just helps families all over the country, all over the world, figure out parenting. And I talked to her really about probably the most important job you have, whether you're in ministry or whether you're uh, in the marketplace, and that is your family. Um, because if it's going well at home, it tends to go better at work. And just, you know, you can be crushing it at, at work and losing at home. And if you're winning at work and, and losing at home, you're still losing. And so Kristen and I have a gut-level, honest conversation about parenting and about what you can do to really make an impact on your kids' lives. So I really hope this is going to help you. This speaks to this speaks to your heart. And yeah, I hope it's going to help. Here's my conversation with Kristen Ivey. So we are backstage at one of my favorite events of the year, the Orange Conference Rethink Leadership, and I'm here with Kristen Ivey. It's so good to be here, Gary. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out. And um, man, this is an event that we do every year in Atlanta at the end of April. Reggie Joyner started it, includes people like you and me, which is pretty amazing. And we have how many? 8,500 leaders from That's around right. the world. In like 23 countries, I think, that are yeah, represented here this year. Yeah. So we did the senior leader track over across the street at the John Maxwell Center. There's 550 senior pastors, campus pastors, executive pastors. And we just wrapped up two days with leading experts. Les McEwen was there. Uh, Charles Lee. We had Virginia Ward. We had Danielle Strickland. We had... Um, who else was there? John Townsend. Um, I mean, Cladden Townsend, he was there. We had, and, and Reggie and Andy Stanley. Oh yeah, there was that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and John Acuff and I, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And Brad Lominick, like it was great. So it's just kind of a leadership think tank, but the heart of all of this, what drives all of this is a commitment to family. 
And um, I know for a lot of you, you're church leaders, you listen, you understand Orange. Some of you are business leaders and you're like, what? Um, what's this all about? But that's a hat that that family is kind of a hat we all wear, right, mm-hmm. Kristen? Everybody has a family. I mean, yeah. we all come from any version and variety and flavor of family, right? And you grew up, you have somebody who raised you, somebody who invested in you when you were a kid or a middle schooler, you know, a high schooler. And so um, even if you're raising your own kids now, you have the family that you're parenting and trying to figure out how to do this thing, um, maybe the same as your parents, different than your parents. Yeah, we all have family. Well, that's it. You're a wife and a mom, but you also came from a family that really shaped you in one way. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? I can. Um, sure. I I grew up with, um, I was born in Houston. My parents divorced actually when I was in middle school. So yeah. that kind of shaped my family perception a little bit. I have one younger sister, four years younger than me. So I'm oldest child and pretty typical oldest child, okay. honestly. Pretty I mean, if you, if you just take that oldest first kid syndrome, I mean, I have it down to a T. So what does that look like for you? What's your personal? Oh, definitely driven, very yeah. um, achieving. And, but also I think, you know, if you're listening and you're a first child, there is that part in you that also you grow up kind of protecting your younger siblings and right. coming alongside. And I think um, with my parents going through a divorce in the middle school years of my life, there is a side of me that, you know, I'm always kind of looking out for the younger person to kind mm. of shelter and protect. And, and, um, so that's probably a part of my personality as well. And, um, but you know, my parents are fantastic parents. Sure. I love my parents. Um, my mom is remarried now and I have two step siblings that yeah. are older than me. So all of us, I know it from the top to kind of in the <laughs> in middle, the middle somewhere, now you're a middle child, right? My mom's remarried. My father's been remarried. Now he's um, single again. And, but we just have a, an amazing time together, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I think having people around you, especially now that I'm parenting my own children, yeah. I see the value of having somebody that you can drop the kids off with, you know, when you need to get away for a minute. And it takes a lot of people to raise some kids. Now, when you, I know, you know, because divorce happens and I'm sure there are moments your parents would replay and maybe it just wasn't going to work out. But take us back to that space when you were in middle school. Do you remember some of those emotions you had Mm -hmm. as you found out that the family wasn't going to be together? Like that's an experience I think a lot of listeners can relate to either because they've been through it or close to somebody who has been. There's something really painful about divorce. It's so personal. And I think in a lot of um, lives as adults, when we go through, if you go through a divorce as an adult, I think it's easy to see it as this failure that feels like, not like a professional failure maybe, Mm. but just on an internal level. And so it's hard to navigate. And, you know, when I was in middle school, my parents were divorcing. I was just probably... I was a jerk, you know, if I'm really honest about it, because, you know, I'm in this season of life. I'm self-focused. I'm so in it with like what this means to me and my world that I wasn't thinking about what this means for them. And looking back on it now in my adult years and going, you know, I think when adults are going through a separation and this dream and this hope and this commitment that they, you know, got into wanting the very, very best and trying to pursue the very best. When it falls apart, they're hurting, there's pain. And in a sense, um, you know, everybody's kind of victimized a little bit. And so it's hard to then turn around and care for your kids and go, oh, I also, as Mm. I'm hurting inside, need to 
care about you and your needs and see all the things that are happening in your life. So um, it's a really tricky situation. Your wife actually, I think, is a a divorce lawyer. A divorce lawyer, yep. yeah. We've had fantastic conversations about this and how do you go through kind of gut-wrenching personal pain in your life in general, whether it's you know divorce or a death of a parent or illness or something like that, and then also still take care of your kids and your family. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, Tony, my wife, she's committed in her practice to try to mitigate the conflict because mm -hmm. it gets so conflicted sometimes. So she's trying to save families money. She's trying to find a peacemaking way through it. But it, it can be really hard sometimes. Like sometimes it's just, it's a horribly conflicted situation. That was our, you know, I think also, you know, you, when you get legal advisors in there, it's just easy to start taking vengeance too and go, you know what, you hurt me, so I'm going to pull this oh, yeah. from you. And you hurt me back, so I'm going to take this from you. And it just escalates very quickly. And two wonderful and phenomenal people mm -hmm. who, you know, really are trying to live amazing lives. There's just a clash. And so um, kids oftentimes do get caught in that where we become, you know, I say we, because I was a child of a divorce, but we become pawns in the argument, right. Of like, well, then I'm not going to let you have the kids on Saturday, you know, yeah. like you hurt me. So I'm going to take your number of hours. And sometimes as a, a child, you're over there going, wait, 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 like, do I get to decide who I get to spend time with on a Saturday? Um, and you know, it's just, it's messy. It's just yeah. messy. My parents are still together. So, I mean, I, I, I don't understand firsthand what that's like, but there must be a feeling of powerlessness in the midst of it, is there? You know, what were the, powerlessness, what were the I think it's just, uh, there's, a, there's a sadness, mm -hmm. I think for everybody. Um, I even, I remember this moment in my um, 20s when my mom, um, I was at home, and you know, this is not everybody's experience, so I don't right. wanna say that this is everybody's experience at all, but um, I walked into the room and she was crying and I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I went over to her and she'd found out that one of her best friends was getting a divorce oh. and she was just broken and just kind of said, you know, I just never would have wished this kind of hurt for her hmm. because I think it was just this realness to say it was, you know, it was hard for my mom. It was hard for my dad. It was hard for me. It's hard because you hoped for something different, you imagined something different, you looked for something different in your family future. And so you're coming to terms with going, okay, my picture's not gonna turn out the way mm. I thought it was. My story's gonna get written differently than I thought it would. And um, I think for any of us, whether we're the parent in the scenario or the kid in the scenario, it's just an opportunity for us to go, hey, life is hard and life is messy and we have to learn how through all of that to just redefine and go you know what our um, sense of wholeness and well-being isn't caught up in turning out like our picture you know hmm. and, and not getting to the thing we assumed we would get to but sometimes it's just going okay um, God is gonna do a new thing in my story or yeah. I can start again and that's true in our professional careers right oh yeah you take a job. Sometimes you think I'm going to be here for 50 years, 60 years. I'm going to do this forever. You know, I built this company, so I'm going to lead it into the future. And then you turn around and there's a professional yep. disappointment. You have to go, oh, I have to pick myself back up off the ground. I didn't, I didn't know the pit got so low down here. Yeah, you know? yeah. and, and you redefine yourself and get yourself um, going again. And for the faith we share, our Christian faith, I mean, Christ is the God of new beginnings, right? Mm -hmm. the, the new day. Do you think or how do you think your experience as a child has 
impacted you positively or negatively as a wife and a mom now? Mm, I always wondered that, you know, I had, I had two parents who've stayed together. Tony, my wife, she comes from two parents who are still together. Both were fortunate. Both of our parents are still alive, both sets. And I like, for me, it's like, oh, my mom and dad must've made it through this. Mm. I'm going to try to make it through this. But I've Mm. I've never really known how that works out when the story was different when you were younger. Does it make Mm. you more committed, less committed? That's a great question. I love that question. You know, there was a moment in my high school years and I'll never forget this. this wasn't a friend that was trying to hurt me, but there was a friend who said something to me. They kind of leveled statistics at me and they said, you know, your parents are divorced, so you're more likely to be divorced when you grow up. And it just, it like, it struck me. And, um, And I never forgot it because I thought, oh wow, am I in some way tainted or scarred that my future relationships can't work out because my parents' relationship didn't work out and it's just gonna mark me as somebody that's going to live out my parents' story. You know, I don't think we can live a life that's separate from our experiences. And sure, my parents' divorce has affected me, but I don't know that it makes me, I I don't know, more or less, you know, committed to my spouse. I am very committed to my marriage. I, you know, I, I have the best husband on the planet. I mean, he's steady, he's calming, um, in my storms of ups and downs and doing what I do. My goodness, I go, I always run a little too hard, a little too fast. And he's kind of the steady undercurrent. Um, but I think, Marriage is hard whether your parents stayed together or didn't stay together, you know? I mean, <laughs> it's so work true. because it's work. And, um, you know, I think it also shaped my view of parenting and my, my view of grace, if I'm honest, because I can look back and go, hey, our mess in our family was just really more public than a lot yeah. of a lot of people's because True. you know I can't look at them and go you know I mean yeah sure their marriage didn't work out and there's there's stuff that came out in the divorce that you know was a part of their relationship that maybe you know isn't ideal but all that means is a lot of their mess got made more public than a lot of other people's messes so I don't have any assumptions or presumptions about my family was perfect I know they weren't perfect and so does everybody else but at the same time I go back in my mind to our childhood and we had a great childhood. My mm-hmm. father was a great father. He was very attentive. Um, he always believed the best in us. He gave us language. He challenged us. I mean, I always knew that my father valued and respected me as a woman. And I think that went really far. I can go to my mom and my mom gave us a love of literature and books and nurture. And um, there's so many positive things that they did in my life that for me to just go label our family experience like it was just the divorce, you know, mm. erases everything positive that they that they gave to me. And I don't I don't think we can do that. That's a really interesting perspective on, you know, like you say, a family situation that didn't work out as anyone hoped it would. I mean, nobody gets married expecting divorce. Like, just, no, just nobody right. No, you don't well, stand at the altar. You're like, well, we'll see. Yeah, like, we'll see. Give it six months. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. And I, yeah. I think that shows an incredible amount of empathy and maturity on your part. And so for the last decade, you have been at Orange, also yes. known as Rethink. Yes. And 
you're now the executive director of messaging. So you're kind of in, and it's, it's pretty massive. I mean, how many church leaders do we serve every year at Orange? You know, Carrie, I like to describe my job as overseeing all the words and none of the numbers. I'm so so numbers deficient. I don't even, we write over a million words a month. I know that. Um, Okay. Say that a million words a month. Over a million words a month. Okay. So just for people who don't know, I know there's a Mm -hmm. lot of people who do know, but for those who don't know, what words are you writing? Like a million a month's a lot. It is a lot of words and it's a team effort. We have phenomenal writers and creators who are all a part of it, but we're creating resources for kids and teenagers and leaders who work with kids and teenagers right. because we want to resource the next generation for a better future. So so that's books, emails, newsletters, um, curriculum, scripts for videos, music. Scripts. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah, it's a pretty diverse company. It was started by Reggie Joyner years ago. Uh, Reggie's been a friend of mine for feels like half my life, but like, <laughs> like over a decade. And, um, and we get to serve, I think it's like 20,000 leaders uh, at live events on tour and then another 8,500 in the spring here in Atlanta. So almost 30,000 leaders live and then, and then, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands more online, which is incredible. And the commitment is to help churches and parents partner together. Right. And really the heart of it is to help families win. Mm-hmm. Yes. So even if you're listening and you're not part of a church, like, you know, the heart behind this organization, and I get to be a part of it, is we just want your family to win. Mm-hmm. And we think the church can help. We think it was designed to help. Um, so, so when you look back, um, I, I want you to speak to the parent in all of us, because mm-hmm. not everybody's a church leader, but, but a lot of people are parents, or they, they have parents that are close to them, or nieces and nephews that are really special. Or we think back on our own childhood, right? because we all came from some kind of family. Um, and we talk a lot about rhythm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are time strapped. A lot of people are exhausted. (laughs) A lot of people are like, man, we don't have time for family. We're on the road. Mm -hmm. We eat out seven nights a week. We got soccer practice, you know, dance, cheer, um, games. We're exhausted all the time. Speak to that parent for a Mm -hmm. minute. If you aren't sometimes feeling like that, then I don't really know how to relate to you. Because <laughs> you feel that way sometimes, like I feel, right? I definitely feel that way. you have three kids. I do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Three kids, So and I work full-time. So, I mean, it's a, it's a there's a lot going on. You know what? If you eat out seven times a week, you're still eating. So yeah, <laughs> you're yeah. still eating together. Food. There's still you're food. starving to death. You know, um, I think we have got to have grace for ourselves in this area sometimes, Gary. I, you know... I grew up with a mother who did stay at home. And so my picture of family was this like stay at home mom, you know, full time nurturing our family. And as a mother myself, now I'm working in a totally different generation where I'm waking up and thinking about getting my kids out the door into school and they've got their lunches and we've signed all the forms and we're doing all the things. But on top of that, I'm scheduling meetings, you know, and I'm calling in to um, do different work things like on the way, on the way back. So we're trying to sandwich in career and family and it is kind of chaotic sometimes. So yes, I think I just need to acknowledge it is a fast paced world and it's easy as a parent to feel guilty about some of that. I think one of the biggest things we do as parents is we layer these expectations on ourselves and then we just have a a sense of guilt for what we expected for us to, for ourselves to do. Like we have this high, high, high bar and then there's kind of where we're measuring up at home. Um, And guilt really never made anybody a better parent. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) 
you can you just kind of have to go if I just feel guilty about it it's not actually making me better yeah so we need a better answer than just feeling guilty we need to figure out strategies to be proactive so that we can live with intentionality not just at work but really have that same intentionality with the people we live with at home um you know at the end of the day you can have phenomenal professional accomplishments and it will never satisfy you i think there's an an emptiness that um and i don't i don't know if this feels if this resonates at all, but I, in my own world, it's like I can have a really big professional win, but if I know I'm losing with the people that I live with, I feel empty. Yeah. And so we have to be intentional with the people we live with. We have to be intentional about with the people we care about. If we put all of our intentionality and our best practices into just our career, we we know deep down that we're missing out on the life we're meant for. So how do you do that? Like in, in the rhythm of your life, what are some ways, because I mean, I, I, I know your job. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're in the equivalent of the C-suite. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, oh yeah, I go in at eight and then I leave at four <laughs> and have my nice little coffee break. I True. mean, yeah. you've got like many listeners, that level of responsibility that follows you 24 seven, your work mm-hmm. is never done. It's messaging. It's mm-hmm. not like, well, and not that balancing the books you can be done, but at some point, sure. you know, some jobs have, hey, I'm finished today. Right. And there's no finish in your job. There's no finish in your job, especially if you have anybody that you're overseeing in terms of staff. Yeah. As soon as you bring on staff, one of the things I never intended in my career was to oversee staff. You feel a weight of responsibility that's hard to explain right. because you do feel like at the end of the day, you want to make sure their families are taken care of. You want to make sure everybody's got... Um, what they need professionally. There's, there is a weight to the responsibility of that. And your work is never finished. You're right. I think part of it is being intentional with looking at the calendar. Right. Um, one of the things I try to do as a mom is say, look, I want to be physically present with my kids, but I know it's not going to be something that I can just say, okay, I'm going to be in your world 24 hours a day. And that's how we're going to be together. I have to proactively look ahead and go, okay, so in the in the fall, for example, we do a 20 city tour. I'm going to be on the oh, yeah. road in the fall. I just go into each month. I look at each month before, before we ever say yes to cities. And I'll say, I know I can be on the road this number of days without it crashing my family. Mm-hmm. I will schedule those days. And then I also look at it and go, okay, now where am I going to block the times to have one-on-one connections with my kids, to have whole family nights and the things that I know I'm going to need as a parent relationally. I go ahead and schedule those. That way it does two things. One is it alleviates my guilt ahead of time. I can go, I can get on the road and I can think about what I've got to do. And I've got to go after my work wholeheartedly and I'm not going to feel guilty about it. We already mm. decided. I made this choice. I made this decision on purpose. And when I get home on Tuesday night, you know, I'm doing this. I'm I'm going to go color with Hensley or you know whatever right. it is. I'm going to do this thing. Uh, now that doesn't mean that we get to schedule our parenting and it all works out exactly the way we planned. You know, you might schedule your great parenting warm moment with your kids, and then it all falls to it falls pieces. Apart. Right? Somebody didn't sleep the yeah. night before. So yeah. you can't plan how it's going to go, but you can go ahead and plan your time. But I think that's really helpful, you know, because I think often we block our work, but we don't block our leisure. We don't block our family time. We don't even block our 
devotional time. Mm. And if you can get to the point where I think you're right, that makes a lot of sense where you're like, I'm just off this weekend. Mm -hmm. Like, or I'm off Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night when the plane touches down. Right. Those are family blocks. And you've made a decision ahead of time that you may be in the office nine to five, but it stops at five that day. Mm-hmm. That can be, that. that's really good advice. What are some other rhythms that you and Matt, your husband, have sort of integrated into your life? Because he's not a full-time stay-at-home dad. I mean, no, he's got he's lots of responsibilities. he's a working father as well. So yeah. it is this constant, I mean, if you didn't know how to communicate with your spouse before you had kids, you're in trouble because you got to learn to communicate about so many things when yeah. you're co-parenting and having the card conversations of, well, your job needs this from you, but my job needs this from me. And somebody's got to pick up, you know, right. this kid and get him to that game and whatever it is. So, um, a lot of communication to our, you know, to our marriage right now about just even just logistically, which means we also have to be intentional about scheduling time for conversations that aren't logistical Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. so much of it is so much of it is just going to be, you know, did we get this? Did we check this box and this box and this box and this box and everybody's taken care of? Then proactively putting time on this calendar to go, okay, when are we going to just have our relationship? One, one of the things we teach at Orange is about creating a rhythm. Mm-hmm. And often people think that is, oh, if I'm going to be the ideal parent, like I have to quit my job, mm-hmm. I, I have to be home every afternoon when the kids are home or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But we talk about leveraging the rhythms of daily life. And there are four or five strategic points in the day where if you leverage those, Mm -hmm. that redeems the time. It actually redeems quality time. So can you tell us what that looks like? Because my kids are 26 and 22. So like... You know, we don't we don't tuck them into bed at night anymore. <laughs> thank goodness, but yes. not at that age. But those are great moments, yeah. And it's a way of leveraging time that you already have. So just walk us through, and this is for every working parent out there, or frankly, mm-hmm. every parent at home. You don't have to work to be distracted mm-hmm. or busy, right? But for every parent, about what are some moments in a typical day or in the rhythm of a week that you can redeem and go, oh, this is an opportunity to connect with my child or even connect with God. Well, I'm definitely going to talk about a few moments, but before I even go there, you hit on something that is so important. I think even for me is the rhythm changes as your kids get older, Yeah, you know, and you are constantly as a parent, parenting is an art. It's not a science. Yeah, right? yeah. And so as you figure out the rhythm for your family in this season, you're going to change it again and give yourself permission to go, oh, I just realized that's not working anymore, or Mm. we need to shift our rhythm and and do something else now in this new season. Um, One of the things I, you know, I try to be aware of as a mom is where are my kids dialing in and what are the best rhythms for them in this season? Part of that has to do with their personalities. Part of that has to do with just their genetics and how they're wired. And part of that has to do with their ages. And so all those things kind of put together, help me identify a best time of day, sometimes to connect with different kids. Um, But I do think there's a unique opportunity every morning with your child in the way that you wake them up, Um, whether they're a new baby and you're going in and, you know, maybe it's five in the morning and they woke up a lot more, a lot earlier than you thought, or, um, you know, they're in middle school and they're just not waking up and you've gone in to shake them like eight times Mm -hmm. and they're still like, you know, it's like, uh Oh, do we need to call (laughs) the medics? Like, yeah, I think we're in trouble. The morning time is a unique opportunity because you can speak encouragement into them to wake them up with positive words of affirmation in the morning. There's just a way to start a new day. It is a new day. Yeah. Everything from yesterday is is gone. And to wake them up and just say, good morning, beautiful. Good morning, handsome. 
so happy to see you. Can't wait for this day. Give them some kind of words of encouragement. I was a teacher before I got to Orange, right. and there is a sense in which um, in education classes, they actually train this. They, they talk to you as a teacher about the fact that you actually don't get to control anything that happens to a kid before they walk in the classroom door. Oh, wow. yeah, that's and true. you need to identify where a kid is when they're walking in the room. What's the temperature of that child as they're walking in? You know, are they low? Are they anxious? Are they worried? Are they sad? Because things have happened and you don't know what the car ride was like. It's true. It's there. not a blank slate at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. So as a parent, I think we also need to consider how we set our kids up for the day. Mm. You know, how are we leaving with intentional words in the morning? Um, I actually started a thing that I learned from Kara Powell, who's one of my favorite yeah. parenting mentors, where she says, uh, she she said she used these three things. I just stole them. You know, that, that's great. a great thing. My kids don't know I stole and this. And you can now steal this from uh, Kristen, who stole it, it from Kara. And uh, when I drop them off at school in the morning, I always say, work hard, be kind, have fun. And it's huh. work got, hard, be kind, have fun. It's just simple words, but it's a way to go at the end of the day. And now they start laughing about it. Like if I leave one out or I mix it up and say it wrong, you know, we play with it because they, yeah. they know it's a thing. Um, but it's a simple way to say, these are three things I want you to do today. You know, you don't have to get all A's. You don't have to, you know, make the team or whatever it is, but you just have fun, be kind and work hard and we're good. Um, but so we're, that's, that's morning time. Morning. Yeah. yeah. Another time is your drive time when you're going all the different places. I know it's busy. The commute. If you're parenting middle schoolers, also drive time is this huge opportunity in the middle school. Um, I work with a lot of teenagers, and if you're a parent in middle school, I would just say be the parent that drives your child. Mm. You know, it's going to mean that you're going to have to intentionally schedule some meetings, maybe around the moment. But whenever you can, if you can be the the parent that drives your child some somewhere, someplace, if you sit in the front seat. And you practice this one skill of being quiet. Yeah. When you're silent in the front seat, there's something that happens with a teenager where they forget that you're there. <laughs> and you listen to the conversations, you're going to learn so much more about what's going on in your kid's world. And then you can talk to them about it later and be like, hey, you know, when I, I heard your friend say this and what did that mean? And, and it just opens up a new kind of conversation. Drive time when the younger years um, or drive time if you've got older kids and they're riding with just you is a good time to have a conversation yeah. about life things because you can kind of look out the window. You're not eyeball to eyeball. Your pressure's low. Um, and so same thing is true if really if you're playing ball or you're doing any kind of activity yeah. where you can have a better conversation because it's not like this, you know. It's not like this intense, like we're doing right yeah, now, I'm looking at, at each you. other. Yeah, and then your, your kid's I'm looking like, into Ooh. your soul. Right. Yeah. No, and I found even as a, a dad of two teenage boys that often once they hit those upper middle school, high school years, and even college years, uh, college it's a little bit different, but in those, you know, when you're getting grunts, how was your day? Uh, you know. That drive time, I shut mm -hmm. off all my technology. We'd put a little bit of music on. That would be it. And you just, you're, you're undistracted and they start telling you stuff mm -hmm. and they start talking to you. And sometimes actually in the teen years, that's all you got other than <laughs> mealtime. All right. Yeah. You in, know? in the teen years, I like to say part of it is their time, you know? Yeah. In the moment that they call you, drop drop whatever you have to drop to jump on the phone because they're only going to be, you know, 16, 17 for a very short amount of time. Whatever you've got going, it can, it really can wait. You know, that's funny because that happened. My 26-year-old called me. I'm running a national leadership conference 
And like, it's starting in 15 minutes and I'm talking to this guy in the lobby and like, I see it's my son, Jordan. And so I'm like, excuse me. I went outside. I took the call. I had 10 minutes. I mean, we're literally welcoming people into this national (laughs) event. It's always in that kind of moment. I know, but I'm like, you know what? He's, I only have two. I'm going to take his call. Right. And I don't know. Hopefully that communicates something. It couldn't be the long conversation he wanted to have, but we will have that at some point. Right. Um, so that's good. So drive time, I think, is huge. And it can get lost. It can get lost like in iPads in the back seat, or, you know, True. movies or, right. um, you know, the busy dad who's mm-hmm. like on his Bluetooth or, you know, on the speaker, like, I'm just going to do this one deal, kids. Shut up in the back. Right. right. That can happen right. pretty quickly. Yep. We have to train ourselves as parents. I, I do so much work in the car when I'm driving and commuting and going places because I have to work on the go. I mean, that's just yeah. how, how it works in the world. But um, when my kids are in the car, I have to try to be intentional and say, wait a minute, for this moment with my kids in the car, I'm going to be different. I'm going to not answer the phone. I'm going to not do this call. I'm going to try to have a conversation. Sometimes there's a conversation that happens. Sometimes there isn't. Mm-hmm. But it's always worth a try. Yeah. Okay, so drive time. We done morning time, drive time. Any other rhythms? Yeah, I think we, like you mentioned earlier, I mean, you eat a meal at some point. We all yep. have to eat at some point. I love point, to eat, man. Right? We got to eat. Sometimes your eating is part of your drive time, um, but sometimes you have a, a table conversation. Maybe you're out at a restaurant. Maybe you're on the go. Maybe you're sitting down. Um, you know, Maybe you're eating to go at a ball game. I mean, whatever mm. it is, but we've all got to eat. And there's something about eating together that brings people together. Mm. I don't even know what it is. It's yep. almost an intangible thing, but when you share a meal with somebody, there's a relational connection that happens. It is. It's almost sacramental, right? Like if you're thinking, if you're trying to get to know somebody and you're thinking of, you know, are they our friends? I think they could be friends. One of the first rituals is you go out for dinner or you have them over or you go to their place or you go to a restaurant. Date. Yeah. You just, yeah. Can we go Friendship out to Friendship date. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And so there's something really great about that. And do you have like specific questions you ask your kids or what do you do? You know, it's fun to hear what they're going to say. We're at a stage right now where my kids bring a lot of conversation to the table themselves. So, you know, that's always fun to just respond and hear about their days. Um, I do try to be intentional. The church that we go to, we have a monthly theme. And Mm -hmm. so there's one idea that they're talking about every week at church. And so it's nice when in those moments we can sometimes sometimes bring the conversation back around to that idea as a way to reinforce it um, and be intentional with the conversation and go, hey, you know, we're talking about compassion, you know, speaking of of compassion, like how have you seen that? And so um, it is a really good opportunity to have those more intentional conversations because it you are going to kind of pause at mealtime unless you have a toddler. You know, right, in, right. in which case mealtime is just chaos. Like just try to get as much food in their belly as possible and survive it. You're not going to be real intentional in those years. But once they hit elementary, middle school, high school, you really can leverage meals to both connect relationally and especially have meaningful conversations. You know, it's really interesting to me as a, as a guy and, you know, my wife and I now parenting because you never you're never really done parenting. I mean, they're independent, they're launched, <laughs> but they're 26 and 22. But I think back to the high school years and, you know, the kids are busy. They have their own lives, eventually get their license. So our meals, we were committed to like at least five meals together a week as a family at dinner. And so we'd be seated around the table. We cook and everything, you know, Tony or I've worked hard on the meal. 
And then often it's like, you know, two boys, mm. eight minute dinners, like <laughs> five courses in eight minutes, three minutes, right? Yes. My wife's like a 25 minute polite person who <laughs> takes time to eat and choose her food. But, you know, she's living with three guys and dinner was, you know, it's like, how was today? Good. You know, what else happened? Nothing. And uh, okay. So honey, how about you? How was your day? You know, yes. she'll talk to me. And you think, wow, we are losing. Like mm. this is this is not a victory. And it's so funny now that our boys are college and beyond. When they come home, they will often sit there. And I found myself sitting there for an hour and a half after dinner mm. with these now young adult boys, and they're having conversations. And I'm thinking, actually, I gotta get my email. <laughs> you know, so but I never say it. I'll right. never say it because right. I can do email the next day. Yeah. But you know, I'm like, my gosh, is this ever gonna end? But I think that's just a word of encouragement to mm -hmm. like, if you think a value is important, don't give up, persevere. Mm -hmm. uh, they will actually be grateful for it long term. I mean, and I think my kids would say they are. If you go back to your own child childhood and think of the things that your parents did for you that maybe you're grateful for yeah. now as an adult, ask yourself how often as a child you thanked your parents in the moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, zero. Zero times. Zero, I mean, yeah, you don't yeah. turn around to your parents and you're like, you know, this thing that you're doing for me right now is going <laughs> to shape my my memories of our family forever. No, you don't you don't think them in the moment. So when you're yeah. parenting, you've got to remind yourself your kids aren't telling you everything um, that's meaningful to them right now. Just yeah. keep at it. Just keep doing it. And, and I guess the other one is bedtime. Right. right. Like those. are, And this again, the idea behind this is it's not like oh, we have to go to this, you know, monastery for a week as a family to bond, or we have to live at Disney World, or, you know, we have to be on vacation all the time. These are just rhythms you have in your everyday life that so many parents miss. And I would have missed them if I didn't understand the power there. So talk about bedtime at your house. Well, bedtime is my favorite one, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm really honest. And that has to do with so many different things. One is that my son, who's an introvert, who never talks about anything ever. I mean, he's mm -hmm. just low on the words. Like he's, right, right, right. he thinks them all day long, but he just doesn't say them. He comes alive at bedtime. And right. so just his personality, all of a sudden, I, I just get this flood of information. So um, just in my own home, I'm particularly drawn to this one because I get to hear so much more of his heart in that moment. Yeah. Um, but there's also just a unique time at bedtime. It is as a as a working mom, a time that I try to guard as often as I can, it's probably the one I'm the most intentional about because I have a tendency to want to try to work through the evenings. You know, I'm just trying to crank through stuff. I've got my eye on the game, but to tell myself I have got to make that end of day time with my kids a major priority, not be answering emails and send them up to bed. You know, mm -hmm. um, because yeah. they're old enough, they could put themselves to bed. But to go, no, I'm not going to put the, I'm not going to let them put themselves to bed. I'm going to not do. It's not going to be like, hey, we ate dinner. Now I'm going to go dive back into work. Right. I'm not finished with them until they're asleep. You know, and so we, yeah. um, a lot of times it's just um, being present for it. You know, again, if if waking them up in the morning is an opportunity to encourage them with words that will inspire the day. Bedtime is this unique opportunity that we have to really endear the relationship, speak to their heart, you know, ask them if anything made them sad today. Were there any disappointments today? Right. Um, help just kind of reset and reframe 
their heart issues at bed in this kind of sweet and tender moment. Um, my daughter, she is a, a physical touch girl. If you've done mm. the love languages, yeah, you yeah. know, it took me all of like six months of her life to know. Oh, you know, she's she physical was, touch. She's physical touch. She doesn't want to be set down for anything. She's climbing on my lap when she got older, you know, and she's still she's still that way. And so with her, it's just going in to scratch her back, you know, and mm. and let her know in a physical touch kind of way that I love you and I'm here for you. Um, with each kid, you find kind of that, that, that my son's like, that's great. We can cuddle if you'll sit way over there. You know, yeah. so <laughs> yeah. it's everybody's personality. But bedtime is a sweet opportunity to reconnect at the end of the day. And as parents, it honestly doesn't take us that long. No, it could it, be five minutes, seven right. minutes. But And as your kids get older, too, I've heard a lot of older um, parents with older teenagers say it became so much of a rhythm in their home that they would just make excuses to be in the room in the physical space. So maybe, you know, your kid does their own laundry, but you might hang up a couple extra things right. while they're going to bed just to be around because sometimes teenagers that don't talk any other time of day, they may, they may have something to share with you. And if you're physically present, yeah. the odds are higher that that you'll get an emotional presence. with. No, them. that's very, very true. I mean, you know, there's eventually a day where you stop doing bedtime stories and Bible oh, stories with right. your kids at bed. But I would almost even through their teenage years, you know, you kind of knock on the door. Hey, I just want to say goodnight. Goodnight, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes they want to talk. And I think that's a really good word to parents of teenagers. Like, I think availability is the key. Mm -hmm. I know when um, our oldest was in grade nine, he said to me one day, he said, dad, why can't you just be like normal dads? That's always a great <laughs> thing, you know, for your kid to say. I'm like, well, clearly I'm abnormal. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you're always like, you're so driven. You're always onto another project mm -hmm. or you're doing this or doing that. And I said, well, what do normal dads do? And he says, they're just around and uh, they watch sports and all that stuff. And I'm like, okay. So I literally cleared my calendar. Wow. And the next day I was home. And I thought, I'm going to be a normal dad. I'm going to be around. And so after dinner, I'm like, so, you know, what's up tonight? And he goes, oh, I'm heading out with my friends. And I'm like, <laughs> gosh, like, what? What are you doing? Oh, and, but I didn't awesome. give up. And, yeah. you know, I was around a lot in the teenage years. And, right. you know, sometimes they're busy with their friends or they don't want to talk or whatever. Um, but you make that. And I was surprised because every once in a while you just, you know, the volcano would burst and out comes all the lava. That's right. a terrible illustration, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, sometimes you're like, like, oh, I did not know that was and, inside. Yeah. And that's great. Any word on, on the bedtime ritual for dads? Is that some, I don't know. I was always present with my kids, but like, is that something typically that dads will yeah. give to moms and just like, okay, I'm not doing that. Or like, I'm busy watching the game. Get out of here. That's interesting. You know, I think I every know. couple has their own routine and their own rhythm and the, yeah. the zones that we kind of find in our niche, you know, which one's the naturally fun parent, you know, which one's right, maybe right. a little bit more of a disciplinarian, which one gears toward bedtime or there's, there's different, you know, you'll find your own niche with your kids. But I would say though, for a dad, that um, that you have a very unique role in yeah. your kids' world. I I believe in this so strongly, Carrie. I just think that there's a reason that we have fathers, and yeah. there's something that a dad can give to a child that a mother. And I I am a mother. I, I mm -hmm. love mothers. I mm. think mothers are fantastic. But there's something that we can't give our children that dads can. And um, I try to remind myself, even as a mom, to say, hey don't steal from your kids what only their father can give them. Ooh, that's good. You know, it's what do easy you mean by that? to, sometimes as a, as a mom, it's easy to go, I want to connect with my kids 
personally or relationally me. Like I want right. to win with my right. kids. So I'm being intentional to make my relationship with them good. And I, I can, if I'm not careful, get in the way of my husband having a relationship with them and my kids need that relationship. And mm. honestly, if I were going back to the divorce conversation we had, um, this is even harder of a skill when you're living with maybe parents who aren't living in the same home. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe it's harder. Maybe it's not. I'm not even sure. Yeah. But I think there's ways when sometimes you're like, uh, I don't even want him to win at a relationship with you. Right. You know, I don't so even think he's a great person. Yeah. You're not allowed to see him. But there is something that having a consistent, positive male figure in your life does for you as mm -hmm. a person. And so um, if that's bedtime, that would be amazing. And, you know, if you have if your kids have a father who can be present at bedtime, um, I think it's important sometimes to share that responsibility and give those heart moments to each other so that your kids do have a strong relationship in both places. Yeah. And to the dads listening, honestly, it's 10 to 15 minutes. And if you really want to bond with your kids, I know the breakfast things can be mm -hmm. crazy and, you know, maybe at meetings or whatever, but that bedtime ritual and that drive time for dads, I think can be really, really powerful. Um, Talk to single parents for a minute because mm -hmm. we've been we've been operating on the whole idea that, you know, this is just going to, you know, everybody's married, stays married. So we deal with a lot of single parents at our churches and also with Orange, right? So Right, of course. Word to single parents. Well, for one, way to go. You're <laughs> an amazing human being. And I don't even mean that lightly. Like yeah. you are an amazing human being. You yeah. have, um, you're... You know, parenting is hard by itself. Oh, yeah. Parenting is just hard. And um, you can't really do it alone. And mm -hmm. so if you're a single parent, I would just say you already know this, but you've got to have community. You've mm -hmm. got to be able to find an, your sense of support so that you can be a healthy person. So hopefully you have neighbors or aunts or uncles or whoever it is, grandparents, somebody around you that you can rely on to help you in this task because yeah, it's don't just go hard. Alone. Don't go alone. And, you know, secondly, I have, I've talked to a lot of single moms um, specifically on the issue I was talking about with dads. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a father who's living in the same physical house as the kid right. to make that kind of an impact. You can find maybe a positive male role model in your kid's life that you would say, hey, would you come alongside my son and just like, Take him to play ball every so often, yeah. you know, or every Saturday morning for an hour. Or you something know, like he doesn't that. have anybody yeah. to fish with. Would you take right. him fishing or, you know, whatever it is to find them and give them purpose and say, he's into mechanics. I don't understand mechanics. Can you, right. can you do this with him? Just finding a way to put those role models in your kid's life can be huge as well. Over the last few years, you were in charge of a massive research and writing project that we called the phase project at Orange. And it wasn't just like theory or ideas. There's actual brain research, um, you know, medical research and clinical research about what a child needs at every phase. So I would love just to touch, just bird's eye view on like the preschool years, the elementary years, the middle school years and the high school years, just to talk for parents. And some of you will have, you know, kids in all four or five areas but what are the things a child needs? And this is like this is like a detailed drill down on almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, and you stuff. have books. We yes. have books for every year, like right. you know, birth, and then one and two, and three and four. And so, just explain 
the methodology behind the project and then just touch on for, for parents listening and for educators and adults listening, what it is, what are some of the key components for every age? Right. So my background is child development. I was um, an education major. I taught high school for a season of life. So I really um, gravitate towards just learning about those early developmental years of a person's life and what makes them the person that they are. And so what we did as a team is we read every child development book that we could find. We interviewed- Literally, wasn't it like hundreds? Oh, yeah, it was a lot. But we had a team of people. We were combing through resources. We interviewed um, counselors, licensed professional counselors who, you know, they would specialize in play therapy or family Mm. counseling practice or um, music therapy and some of these things that reached specifically children and teenagers. And um, we had so much fun just Mm. focusing on these early years. And one of the reasons that we did it um, was just this idea that there are 936 weeks approximately from the time a kid is born until they graduate high school. Yeah. And if you go ahead as a parent, and if you were to put a number to the number of weeks that you have left with your kids, it draws you back to this idea that time matters. Yeah. You think it'll never end, but it will. It will. You know, it's so shocking. It seems like this, why do you even say it kind of idea? Like it's so obvious. It doesn't even need to be said. And yet when you're a parent, you really do realize this. When my son was born, he was our first and he was um, a really tough baby. If I'm honest, Mm. we were in the NICU in the beginning. He had allergy. He was allergic to all foods on the planet. Mm. I mean, literally my, my list was like about there were like 45 things he couldn't eat. So it was it was insane. And so it jumped into parenting like into the right into the deep end. And um I just I learned really fast that for for a season I thought this is my life now. Hmm. This is how it's going to be forever. And it wasn't until I got a little bit further into my parenting that I started to go, "Oh, this is what people mean." And yeah. This is what people mean. This is what they say when they say like it doesn't last forever and it goes by fast and you know cuz for a while I thought it might just last for, for, for the rest of my life. Right, right, you know? right. Um and so chicken strips at 40. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 936 weeks and another thing that I think kids do, well I'll just say this, what the 936 weeks from the time a kid is born until they graduate high school are a unique opportunity in a person's life. They really do shape who we are more than any other time in our life. I mean, sure, we're going to have disappointment. We're going to have big life moments in our adult years. But those foundational beginnings really define a lot of who we are and And the research backs that up. The research does. Yeah, that that what happens in your life early on really does shape who you are. And I, I mean, your brain is still forming. Your body is still forming. We say that kids are always changing in six ways, mentally, physically, emotionally, relationally, culturally, morally. I mean, they, they're changing so fast. And as a parent, the other thing that happens is you think you know your kid better than anybody else because you've been with them for the longest <laughs> amount of time. Well, I my mean, child's unique, different from all the other children. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you do know a lot about them, whether you were there the day they were born or you adopted them as they got a little bit older, you've been with them over seasons of life. And so you do know them pretty well. But the thing that that nobody tells you, I just didn't feel like I understood this as a parent early on, is that I would think I know my son, like, I know him, I know him, I know him, I know him. He's this great six-year-old. And I turn around, I'm like, oh, wait, wait, he's nine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And he's changed. And my pace as an adult is different than his pace as a child. And we just somehow our paces don't line up. Mm -hmm. And I'm busy in my professional world. And I miss the fact that my kid is growing up faster than I realize. And that his questions and his experiences are, are changing and shifting 
um, and we have to refocus and dial in. That's why we went after the FACE project as a way right. to say, okay, if you want to be an intentional parent, one of the things you can do is at the beginning of a year, whether it's your kid's birthday, maybe the start of a school year, whenever that beginning of the year is for you, pause for just a short amount of time and come back to think intentionally about where are they right now? What's the phase they're in right now? We say a phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. Right. And those distinctive opportunities look different at different phases. The opportunities that you have with a two-year-old look different than the opportunities that you have with a fourth grader or with an 11th grader. And so you really do have opportunities right now in the seasons of life that your kids are in today that you don't get back later. Yeah. Um, that you have something unique. And that's where we, we wanted to tune into that and go, okay, so then what are those distinctive opportunities that a parent can leverage at each year and call our attention to those? Say, okay, okay in the middle of all the chaos and all the mess and all the things going on, what are the things you don't want to miss about the phases your kids are in? Because you only get to know your kid once as right. a three-year-old. Right. And then they're four. They're not going to be three again. You don't get those opportunities back. And so how do you make the most of their third year of, you know, when they're three um, while they're still in it? So what does a preschooler need? Parents of preschoolers. like, And I know, I mean, there's literally a book for every year, but like just broad strokes for parents of preschoolers. It's like mm. your child most needs to learn the Greek alphabet. Right. That is the three. It is the thing. Yeah. It was the Greek alphabet. I thought yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no. So actually I don't think there's any phase of life that has more written on it than the preschool years. Right. There are volumes and volumes of books about things you should know for your preschoolers. And so we like to simplify. Yeah. And if I'm honest, the, the preschool years are physically demanding parenting mm. years. Yeah, um, that's why you have your kids when you're young. Yeah, they're phys they're physically demanding years, and all you're not going to do all the things. Let's just go right. ahead and say that you're <laughs> yeah. not going to do all the things, especially not all the things that everybody writes that you should do in a book. So we like right. to simplify it. Um, and then one thing that you can do for preschoolers is to consistently embrace their physical needs. Mm. If you will put that up above everything else, whether you're an attachment parent or, you know, or you're a free range parent or you, I mean, what all book you're reading, it doesn't matter. If you will Im consistently embrace their physical needs, you will get In other them, words, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, dirty diaper, yeah. whatever. Yeah, one of the things that you're doing is you're showing your kid that they're in a safe place. They're in a world that can be mm -hmm. trusted. There's actually a lot of data to back up this imprint that goes into a kid's life that says, okay, you can trust the world around you. Oh, you wow. are safe. And when you give a preschooler this foundation of trust more than anything else, that's the thing that will set them up for success, that they feel wow. safe and so they can risk, so they can learn, well, so they can play. That makes intuitive sense because, I mean, how many adults do you know that are like, I don't trust anybody and if I don't take care of myself. And some of that gets shaped in those first few years, right? Even subconsciously, it just gets, it's not like anyone says, you can't trust anybody. It's just like, no, I, I had to fend for myself. Yeah. So wow. laying a foundation of trust and, and make it a point to show up consistently to embrace their physical needs. That's really it. Your preschoolers are asking, we like to say, they ask, am I questions? Am I safe? Right. Am I able? Am I okay? And you always want to answer those in the affirmative. Yes, you're safe. Yes, you're able. Yes, you're okay. And that's how you show up to embrace their physical needs. What about the elementary years? 
So elementary is this fun, fun, fun season yeah. of life. I mean, it it's like your kid can go to the potty by themselves. You know, they can get dressed by themselves. They can take care of themselves in some new ways. And yet all of the maybe emotional angst of puberty and middle school and high school hasn't kicked in. And so it's a great season um, to be parenting. And what we say that an elementary school kid needs most, though, is for you to engage their interests. Hmm. Their interests, their interest. not your interests. Yeah, their oh, interests. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good. Although you can usually still get elementary school kids to engage right. in your interests you can sometimes. Them. Yeah. Yes, it's been attempted. Right, but um, another thing I like to say is every elementary school kid actually has the same interest. If you're if you're aware, every elementary school kid is interested in themselves. <laughs> so when you're so they're really adults. Yeah, okay. I mean. Yeah. All right. <laughs> When you show interest in them, you're showing interest in their interests and um, engaging them in their interests in this season. Um, like I said, it is a fun time. And one thing I think that we overlook oftentimes is the value of fun, especially mm. in our kids' lives. You have only this season with your elementary school kid to play and to just have fun, laugh together, play together. You, you literally can't play enough in these mm. elementary seasons. And that's not just because it's fun for you because sometimes it's not. Yeah. I mean, if I'm really honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. playing with my kids is actually not fun No, for I, me. I remember endless rounds of mini sticks. Yeah. This, Canadians have these little tiny miniature hockey sticks and like our youngest always is like, who wants to do mini sticks? And it, no. I'd look at Tony and she'd look at me and I'm like, it's your turn. And anyway, <laughs> but we played that like billions of hours. I swear it was billions. But counselors actually show that some of these um, acts of aggression that we're seeing in middle school and high school and violence come out of kids that have a deficient play history. What? Really? That they didn't play enough, that that's really what's going on. That play, like, so what? They just sat behind an iPad or, a, well, what, yeah, or, or they, just nothing? Yeah, that they were either, either whatever it was that was isolating them, that they weren't having fun with other human beings. When we have fun together, it connects us. Yeah. And when you feel connected to people, you're in touch with what it means to be human. You understand wow. the value of human life. You understand the dignity of human life. Play is what gives us that. Play is the foundation on which we have relationships where we can forgive each other. Uh, nothing will authenticate forgiveness like having fun together. You know, that's that's true. So is that like just go in the backyard and play tag, like that yeah, kind of stuff? sometimes it is, yeah. you know? I mean... What would you say to the parent? I know I've talked to a lot of parents. I mean, we grew up, we had a half acre lot. We were fortunate. We lived in the country and literally there were no fences between mm -hmm. our neighbors. So if the ball went over into the neighbor's house, it was fine. So my kids ended up with like a thousand feet to play in and, you know, mm -hmm. a field behind us. And so it's almost like the childhood I grew up with or the romanticized version. But a lot of people, you're on in a condo, a townhouse, a 30-foot lot. Oh, you don't need space to play. Okay. You don't. We had so much fun the other day driving in the car. You can play in the car. You can right. just have, invent games. I mean, invent silly games. So it literally could be a board game. It literally yeah. can be horsing around. It. You mean, you're just talking about just be a kid. Yeah, and and it, and do things that make them laugh. What mm. makes your kid laugh? That's yeah. the stuff that's made up of play and fun. And yeah, that's good. Fill okay. your home with laughter. I think there's actually a scripture about that that says, you know, the strength, the the joy of our Lord is our strength. Yeah. The yeah. joy of the Lord is yeah. our strength. So, there is actually scripture on laughter. Right. So, yeah. you know, how strong is your home? How much are mm. you laughing together? Yeah. That, you know, there's tension. Yeah. There's not a lot of laughter. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Go see a counselor sooner. Anyway, that's my bit. Okay, what about middle school? 
So middle school, I love the word that we gave to middle school for so many reasons, yeah. Carrie. Um, I actually get pushback on the word that we give to your role in the middle school years, which is to affirm, 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 oh, affirm, yeah. affirm. So the most selfish people on the planet, you're supposed to affirm them? Yes. The people really? who forgot their, their stuff, again, affirm them. The people who, I mean, this is this crazy time of life. And I have probably more than any other, I have loved meeting with leaders who work with middle schoolers and just listening to them and learning from them. And um, they've said such wise things. One middle school uh, teacher told me, every middle schooler is drawn to the oldest person in the room who takes them seriously. Wow. I thought that's so good. Middle schoolers are hungry for an adult who will look them in the eye in the middle of their mess and their awkwardness, you know, and just say, I see someone great in you. Wow. I did all these interviews with people who lead age groups from preschool, elementary school, middle school, and high school. And I asked them a series of questions about what they do and why they do it and what they've learned as they've done it. But I always started with the question, tell me about somebody who influenced you as you right. were growing up. And the question, um, when I listened to their answers, 100% of the people, like 100% of the people, gave me an answer of somebody who entered their life somewhere between fourth grade and 10th grade. Wow. Somewhere in this zone. So in our in that moment of your life when things got dark and you kind of want to block it out and you're like, just as long as no one finds my middle school picture, we're good, you know? We need adults who will show up and parents who will show up and affirm and say, I see something great in you. And you know what? They may not look great no, no, right no. now. You know, <laughs> you're calling out what you see for their future and the potential that's inside of them and um, affirm, affirm, affirm their personal journey. So just to, you know, in case, you, you, you know, listeners, leaders, you've got the discount factor going on, like, come on, give me a break. I spent an hour or more, actually more time today with uh, John Townsend, a uh, world-renowned psychologist, leader, coaches, uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 50 leaders, and really at this point does brain research and um, does spends all his time with high-performing leaders, very high-functioning, high-performing CEOs, executives, C-suite leaders in the church and in the marketplace. And his talk to our leaders this afternoon was when you fail, what is your self-talk? Mm. And you know what the self-talk is? I suck. I'm not going to get yep. out of this. Yep. And he gave us four statements that I wrote down. That's like self-talk. Like, you know what? Uh, I'm loved. Um, wow. I can figure this out. Like, think, I'm paraphrasing right now. But right. that gets back to the lack of affirmation mm. in those formative years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, I, 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 I think back to my middle school years and I was looking for anybody. Yeah to affirm me. And often there was a chasm between adults and kids in those mm -hmm. years. So that totally resonates. Right. And I think uh, John Townsend, who will be a guest on this or has been by the time this airs uh, yeah. on this podcast would affirm. So let's go to the high school years. Yeah. The high school years is a tension that everybody's going to be familiar with. I mean, if you mm -hmm. had to name this tension, a hundred percent, if you're parenting a, a high uh -huh. schooler, this is what everybody feels. So can I give you some uh, parenting advice from a mentor of mine for 
teenagers. Yeah, of course, I would put love them in that. a barrel at thirteen and open the barrel at twenty. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Actually, I thought that was really quite good. But you probably have a different take. I do, although okay. I have those. Well, I, you know, I work with a lot of high schoolers. So <laughs> yeah. as I lead groups of high schoolers, and leader, I'm a right, small group leader, church. so I yeah. listen to stories of high schoolers. I do have this thing in my head that like alarm bells start going off, and I'm like, my kids can never be your age. You know, like, <laughs> okay, I love you, but just my own children can't can't be like right, this. You're gonna stay nine forever. Yeah. But um, I for high school, the unique tension is the holding on and the letting go. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, you are just in the thick of that tension of going, yeah. okay, wait, wait, wait. When am I supposed to step in and, and shelter? When am I supposed to step in and guide and parent? When am I supposed to just let you experience failure and the stakes are getting higher? So those failures are going to, yeah. you know, the consequences are going to yeah. be greater. Am I really going to let you experience all of these consequences? I mean, and how do you hold on? How do you let go? And so the word that we give to high school, your role as a parent in the high school years is to mobilize their journey. Oh. You're looking ahead, right? You're going, I want you to be a self-supporting, healthy adult who can have strong relationships. You know, I want for my kids to have a really strong faith. I mean, there's mm. things that values that you have in those high school years and you have to look at the future and it's getting a little closer and closer and closer every day and go, okay, how do I prepare them in the moment? And there's no one answer to navigating all yeah. the many, 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 many situations you're gonna have to navigate in the high school years to go, okay, is this that opportunity when I lean in or when I step back? But you are mobilizing them for the future. Yeah. I love that, Kristen, because Tim Elmore, who's been on this podcast, put it this way. He said, often we overprotect and underprepare. Mm -hmm. And right. that idea of mobilization, like, uh, you know, your 13-year-old is going to be at college in five years right. or four years. And, you know, mommy and daddy can't come and rescue That's and right. do so. And it is right. that weird. And I mean, time moves so fast. 13, 14, 15 are very different mm -hmm. stages. And I remember, you know, one of my kids called me out. He's like, dad, I'm not five. Dad, I'm not eight. You know, and I'm like, I know. I, I kind of wish you were right now, right. but you're not. <laughs> so th those are really good words. Hey, people are going to want to learn more. So let's talk about the phase project. So is there a website? Is there a place they can go to to, to get that research? Oh, you know what? We're in the middle of migrating a lot of things at phase that are really exciting. Um, uh, the best place might be just to follow along with me. Um, I have my oh, website yeah. is just kristenivy.com. Okay. Um, and I oversee and IVY, IVY, just, like, just yeah. like the plant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of people spell it with an E. We're not, I've just IVY, kristenivy.com. And I, um, I'll post there. We have a phase foundations curriculum that's launching mm. right now for preschools around the country. Wow. That's an exciting part of phase where we're trying to step into the gap of early childhood development, early childhood education. So and for we, teachers and educators for who teachers may be teachers and educators, that's right. Yeah. It's a an full-on weekday curriculum that we're launching. We're constantly churning out different ways that we can meet the needs of kids and teenagers. And then like you mentioned, the phase guides are my favorite, favorite thing for parents because yeah. it's not a lot of words. So no. it doesn't take you a lot of time to get through. We assume you're the expert on your own kid, but it is a way of, of entering into their world each year and calling you back to some of the things that you need to know about how they're changing, how you can meet those basic needs in your kid's life this year. Phase guides is what we yeah. call and them. And you can get the whole set or like, hey, she's eight, you just buy the book for eight. Yeah. Right. Huh. Nice and simple. It's cheap. It's small. It's a place mm. where you f you have to interact with it and fill out some questions for yourself. 
Um, but the goal is just to help you be more intentional with the year that you have. Great. Okay. And where do they find that? Um, the face guides are all on Amazon. It's they're they're named really creatively. It's called parenting your new baby, parenting your one year old, parenting your two year old, parenting right. your three year old. Just how about we link to all age. of them in the show notes? So that would be great. Okay, we'll link to everything in the show notes. And then if you want to know about more about Orange, uh, you can go to whatisorange.org, right? That's right. Yeah. And that's .org. So we'll link to all that in the show notes. Kristen Ivy, this has been great. You've helped a lot of leaders. You've helped us sort of think through our parents. You've helped some of us who are older say, ah, I wish I had that moment back again. Mm -hmm. And uh, and just thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is a really great conversation, Carrie. It's always good to be with you. I just love how honest and open and how freewheeling that conversation was. Kristen, thank you so much. Hey, if you guys want more details, you can go to the show notes. Go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, search Kristen Ivy, I-V-Y, and you'll find the show notes right there. Uh, of course, you can Google that as well, and uh, and you'll find it. Anyway, uh, we are back next week with a fresh episode and getting really close to episode 200 when we are going to have a lot of fun for you guys. Uh, got a whole week of celebration lined up for that. But next week, it is John Dickerson, and he is the pastor of a large church, but really uh, was in journalism, and I talked to him all about journalism next week. Uh, here's a sneak peek. It was an incredible career because one day you'd, I'd be profiling a heroin addict and the next day I might be profiling a billionaire or a professional athlete. And so really got to see the whole spectrum of humanity from the very bottom to the very top. And in all of it, saw that what scripture says about human nature and the human need is true and accurate. Not only that, saw that the message of Jesus is really the only message that can change the world because it's the only message that can change the human heart. Um, mm -hmm. I met a, a lot of really well-intentioned lawmakers who hoped to change society from the outside in through you know rules and regulations, and there, that's an important field. And as an investigative reporter, that was the thrust of a lot of my work was trying to help lawmakers adjust where we need to have better laws. But ultimately, I saw over the years of doing that, you can't change people from the outside in, but Jesus' message truly does change people from the inside out. Yeah, John wrote for the New York Times, CNN, USA Today, and so many others. And uh, yeah, that's coming up next week. Subscribers, you get it automatically for free. Also coming up, we've got Josh Gagnon, Sam Collier, John Tyson, Les McEwen, Bobby Grunwald, who literally invented version. Uh, Max Lucado is coming up, Andy Stanley, Nancy Duarte, Patrick Lencioni, uh, all that stuff for free when you subscribe. So do that. And thanks again for sharing, leaving ratings and reviews. Remember, the Art of Better Preaching is available. Mark Clark and I poured our heart and soul into this course. We hope it helps you preach better sermons as early as this Sunday. And you can get it with a whole bunch of bonuses right now at introductory prices for a very limited time. In fact, when the next episode drops, the price will have gone up. So head on over to uh, theartofbetterpreaching.com and check out what we got for you there. Thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate you. We're back next week with a fresh episode. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. 
Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.